buckle up, bitches. It's pub time. Welcome back, everybody. It's the boys from Illinois, the pub time podcast. So is this the first time we've ever opened an episode without a beer crack? Because I think that just happened. There'll be one. It's all bottle tops. I it is bottle tops I can today. bite them with my teeth, I guess. The table is full. An embarrassment of riches uh, when it comes to beer. Oh, for sure, yeah. Before us right now. Nary a Bud Light. Nary a Bud Light in sight. Um, I don't know what Dick's sipping on, but. We do have Dick today. Dick is here. Dick is back again. Megadeth beer. Megadeth beer. What? So what is it? I mean, I saw. I looked at it real quick, but the Belgian ale. I believe. You say it's all spicy though. It is different. Yeah, it's like peppery, spicy, yeah, or it has a last minute kick. You can try it. Really? Right? Uh, I don't know. I thought I'd mix that with this. <clears throat> oh god! Red. Damn it! I don't know, but no. So kicking off the, I tell you what, when you came up with that name. Yeah, rhythm and bruise. I was like, that's fucking perfect. Well, every time I gotta find a way to squeeze alcohol into it. I thinking, 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 then I don't know. But we saw we what, came into it. It was like our initial thought was like Battle of the Bands, but that's just been done so many times. Yeah, way too much. We had to put and our own little spin on it. And I don't even know how much this is gonna be a battle or whatever that right. we're gonna you know the Beach Boys will be last though. I guarantee um, oh, you that. I tell you what, you are sleeping on I'm okay if I never the wake musical up. prowess of the Beach Boys. The coma. But, but uh yeah, I think that yeah, being able to throw beer alcohol into the title is always true, true to pub time. Yeah. I mean fashion, very on brand. Yeah, you gotta stick with it, you know. She might not be the prettiest girl. That's who you brought. (laughs) That's right. That is right. Um so no, we got a table full of beer here. What's that? What's the big one there that what we're sipping on here? It's a uh it is Chicago's Family Brewery craft beer, and it is just a dark red ale. That's yeah, like an Irish red, something like that, I would say. Tastes like one. Yeah. Not my, not my, not my f- it puts Killians to shame. Yeah. I mean, this style of beer is not my favorite, but it's good. Still very good. Just yeah. not. It's different. Yeah. I wouldn't choose it very often. I've brewed some homemade beer before, and they taste very similar to this. Very sweet. This beer is very sweet. It is. Like a honey or, right. you know what I mean? Yes. So when you make it in your basement, that's what it tastes like. That's right. And uh, so, yeah, we're kicking off the Rhythm and Brews series here over the, this episode and the next three after this, highlighting four bands we picked. And and this is something we'll cycle through again later this year, next year with four different bands. But the four bands we have on tap today, we're going to do the Eagles. Next week, Pink Floyd. And we're going to wrap up with Led Zeppelin and the Beach Boys. Maybe oh, not in that Beach order. Beach Boys going first. That's fine. Then we're going to come in with the real heavy with hitters. Led Zeppelin at the end. Um, and there's actually some, uh, I mean, I think a lot of bands from that time frame sort of cross swords here and there. There's some cross pollination and stuff. But there's a few references uh, in today's In the topic. 70s, there was a lot of crossing swords. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't frowned upon. No, there will be there will be some, some stuff today that... Uh, you know, Led Zeppelin will kind of be part of our story today a little bit with the Eagles. There's a couple things there, and some. Are you just mixing that right on top of it? Yeah, this so usually so an Irish stout right on top of an Irish red. So when you get half and half black and tan, a lot of times they'll give you Smittix, which is a red ale. 
and you just really? put the harp on top of it, but I'm going in reverse. I thought dark somebody dark. told me that Smithix is actually pronounced like a completely different way. No, it's not Smithwicks. Right. Smithix. But I, I, I agree with that. But for some reason, I thought there was someone who's like, no, it's like. Unless, that's... unless their name is fucking O'Malley, I wouldn't trust no, them. No, right. Because I've heard a couple of them and it's Smithix. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. I'll take it. I think I think it's uh, the white, you know, how white people would pronounce it. Definitely not the way it's supposed to be. No, no. Not the right white people. I True. Guess. Absolutely not the right white people. Um, yeah. So anyways, so we're talking about the Eagles today, and we decided that a, a maybe a five for five topic would be five for five things that are named after an animal, but not like sports franchises. I mean, because that would be. You know, every almost every sports franchise, sans a few, are yeah. named after an animal of some kind. So, Commanders, I've never seen one of those in the wild. No, I said there's a, a few Reds games, that aren't. But, um, I will say, speaking of five for fives, I'm eating dinner with my family last night, and olive oil was on the table, and I couldn't help myself but explain to them that just last week, you know, I chose this. As a topping, if I were to eat another human being, they're like, "Really?" I'm like, <clears throat> "Did they look around and start sizing? Did they start sizing each other up, considering like, who would be shit. first?" No, no, no. I don't think it ever. That's too bad. They weren't happy with some of my other choices for toppings. Yeah, or condiments or whatever we said. Yeah, they kind of scoffed at the peanut butter thing, which I just know. Now, like, I would say that peanut butter is limited. Oh, you can put it on so many things. Now, I would say I would agree that it's probably good on more things than people give it credit for. But I still think that it's limited. Very limited. What's the best thing to put on a cracker? Just straight ass white cracker. I would say cheese. Peanut butter. But and you say peanut butter, that's fine. I would choose the cheese cracker over the peanut what butter. What kind cracker, of cheese though? though? Folded well, I'm just saying, no, cheese? no, no. Like I'm saying, but that's like a more likely spread. what you're gonna have. A cheese spread of some on kind. Hand. Correct. Yeah. More often than not, I'm Even not gonna have shitty peanut butter tastes better on that cracker than, than that a cheese. slice of cheese. Sure. Right. Absolutely. I, that's what I'm saying. I think it's. It but I mean, you know, like the love. little six packs, like the orange crackers, the cheddar crackers, and then you either get it with peanut butter or with cheese. Yeah. I'd choose a cheese every time. Really? Yeah. I'd take a Ritz, maybe, but... Same thing. I'd rather have the Ritz with cheese. Right. Uh, as opposed to peanut butter. I'm, I'm not saying I dislike the peanut butter. No, you're not... changing the vessel. I just said plain-ass white cracker. You remember the crackers you used to get in sheets? Yeah. Dick, you remember them crackers? In sheets? No, I do not remember those. You remember those? You had to, Like, they were an individual little You had squares. to break off your own cracker? It was like fucking hardtack. <laughs> Really, it was, it was. like government issued crackers. Or no, but they used to come in tins and like. Really, you just kept the fucking tin. You throw the crackers in there next time; they stay longer. Yeah, I don't recall these at all. Nabisco's. Really, yeah. I can remember that's the standard saltines. Yeah, that's Nabisco but, white box. Yeah. When everybody thinks about it, I think they were like the OG. Right. Just everybody makes their own kind of <clears throat> cracker. That's now. fair. I don't think we use that word enough. Cracker. As much as, <laughs> what? As, mu- as much as, you know what gets thrown around. 
I don't think cracker is used nearly enough. Well, I would now hold on. Love if out in public someone would call me a cracker. I would love it. it would so you're saying you day. wish that cracker was used amongst the white people the same way that yes, it's a term the, of the affection, N word is supposedly. used as a term of endearment, right? Uh, so, but what's up, my cracker? What <laughs> like, up, cracker? I was yeah. talking to these crackers on the street the other day. Hard R though. <laughs> Crackers. Hard R. Didn't you dare um, skip out on that R? It is that is the not to get like way out of hand here, but like it's supposed to be, but it's not. What I'm saying is the 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 N word. Is that one of the only things that could be taken offensive, but it's also used as a a term of endearment in a way? Like fuck you. I mean. I don't know. I mean, but I'm saying like that can be perceived in s- such opposite ends of the spectrum, like yeah. severely it's, opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. And all has to do with pronunciation, supposedly. I've never or, said I, it. I don't even think it has to do with pronunciation. I think it has to do with who's saying it. I've never said who it. You're saying so I don't it know. Yeah. But but I, I just it's just I'll jump it's in, a weird I'll jump dynamic. in right now and tell everybody I have a few black friends, so <laughs> I've never seen you. Yeah. Um, no, I just thought that was interesting. But, anyways, uh, God, there's a really terrible segue I could use, but I will choose not to. What? No, let's please. no, no please. not a chance. I um, told you before the racial draft needs to happen here very soon. The racial draft, just like Chappelle. That is one of the greatest. <clears throat> that might that might be one of the greatest television moments of all time. The racial draft. I don't know if I ever actually saw it. To oh, be honest fuck. With you you got to educate yourself. It is spot on. You yeah. know, because everybody's like, oh, stereotypes. He fucking hits every one of them. But it you is. can do that, man. If you're if you're a black person, fuck. you can do that. You can get away with that. No, it's fine. Or Daniel Tosh. There's the <laughs> only people who can get away with this so, sort of joke. I'm surprised I didn't bring that up last week when we were talking about eating people. Because his bit about eating people is one of the greatest yeah he's like uh you know if you eat a mexican is it a little spicy he's like you eat a chinese guy he's like are you hungry 30 minutes later <laughs> he's like you eat a black guy come on does it taste <laughs> like chicken and watermelon oh my and he god goes, white people you don't eat white people and then he just goes right <laughs> to the you next don't eat white people um there was one I can't remember. I was I saw it on TikTok or something where he's telling a joke, and of course right now I can't remember the context of the joke. But he's like, "This is not a joke I tell everywhere." He's like, "I don't tell this joke in the South very often." He's like, "He's like you hear a few yeehaws in the crowd." He's like, "You know it's time to shut it down." <laughs> like, but I can't remember. Tosh? Yeah, but I can't remember what the. But, anyways, uh, five for five. Things named after animals that aren't sports franchises. Since we're talking about the Eagles, this is a band named after a majestic flying animal. Uh, like I said, my five, and it's funny we're speaking of racists. I'm taking former Alabama head coach Bear Bryant. Ooh, okay. That's good. Although I don't know for a fact, just being he was white <laughs> in Alabama in the 60s, I have a good feeling he used the hard R. So. Oh, for sure. Off the list. 100%. 100%. So I'm going to start with, um, you know, again, taking this, making this an international uh, five for five. P- 
Panda Express. I'm going to take Panda okay, Express, right. the rest okay. of the, the fast food Chinese restaurant that is really not that good. It's okay for what it for being drive through fast food Chinese. It's okay. Um, but yeah, Panda Express. All right. My four is probably my one, but I need to get them now just so he. And that is one Jake the Snake. Oh, okay. Roberts. Nice. Huge fan. Not even on Can't my Can't let radar. him go. That's good. Can't let him go. That's good. So you went with. And that mustache. Person. You went with two people. Um, so I'll take a person here. I'll go Tiger Woods, the great American golfer. Tiger, Tiger Woods. Woods. Yeah. Tiger Woods. To be honest, most of mine are people. Yeah. Yeah. That's I just, okay. I just, I struggled when you said it to me and you're like, <laughs> no sports teams. Well, that's too. I'm like, motherfucker, just... there goes half my choices. Yeah. Easy. For sure. So we got next. Ah, number three, one half of probably the greatest tag team of all time. I'm taking Hawk. Okay. From the Road Warriors. I guess I, I my team would pro, beat the shit out of your team. Pro wrestling. Head. Pro wrestling offers a lot so of many. options. Yeah. Um, so this is gonna lead to this is gonna contribute to your team being able to take out my team. I'm gonna take Seal, the musical artist Seal, Kiss from a Rose. Um, sing us a little bit. <laughs> I will only not. only ten seconds, so I don't no. want to. So have any I'm gonna take Seal. Seal. Yes. With my next pick. So my last two, uh, you you fucked me up somewhere because I flip flopped. I'm gonna have to take him. I'm gonna take probably the greatest superhero of all time. That's Batman, Bruce Wayne. That's again superheroes. Millionaire. Another, another area where you could certainly find several. Um, that's a good one. And again, you know, I think that your team again would kick my team's ass. Uh, no but choice. I'm going to turn the tables a little bit here uh, to give myself a chance. And I'm going to take Snoop Dogg uh, with my next pick. Snoop Doggy Dogg. Your Snoop team is definitely Doggy higher Dogg. than my team. <laughs> I don't know on what. Cause... We're going to hang out with Snoop Dogg and go eat some Panda Express. I got and a feeling... then we're going to go out for the after party to Perkins with Tiger. Snake and the Legion of Doom throwing down some shit. So. While Seal sings in the backseat. Um, like I said, I fucked up. I'm taking my favorite villain of all times. And I prefer Uncle Frank as this villain, and that's the penguin. Okay. Gotham City. The Joker's cool and all. But the penguin looks like that, built like that, and gets just as much done. Huge fan. Um, so I had two others on my list, and one you kind of took. I was gonna use Bear Grills. Oh, I was taking Bear Bryant. I thought but for you sure. had Bear Bryant. Guess I don't want to use. Bear Grylls, snake him. Um, but I'll use the other one I had, and that's the old, reliable, trusty gorilla tape. Gorilla tape. Gorilla tape. So I don't know what happens on a night with Panda Express, Snoop Dogg, Gorilla Tape, Tiger Woods, and Seal. Right. But I bet it's a good fucking time. Jake the Snake Roberts is there. <laughs> He's in. Now, if you could put your five and my five together, there's at least two prison sentences that are coming out of that night. At least. Um, I don't know. I guess I old school penguins cool too. As, <coughs> as Burgess Meredith, old man from Grumpy. You're not doubling Grumpy up on the penguin, are you? Yeah, I, I'm saying him and Danny DeVito are the greatest. That's from old school, like Adam West sure. Batman. That was my favorite. But that's not your last pick, though, right? That wasn't 
I went before you. That was my last pick. Was oh, the Penguins. whatever. You don't want to choose a sixth? No honorable mentions? Eh. No. That's like fine. I said, mine is all useless wrestling knowledge. Rhino. Rhino. I think Grizzly I Smith. There's no females in that group. What are females with the Catwoman? Eh. Hey, Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't bad. Holly Berry, or, uh, for real. What's that? Kat Von D, the tattoo Ooh, artist. Good call. What are some other? Wrong. I don't know. Uh, what are some other women with animal names? I'm trying think. to think. It's tough. Um, even pro wrestling. We missed the was. monkeys. I'm sure it'd be right monkeys. in there with your fucking beach. The boys monkeys, choice. the Beatles, yeah. the birds. Fuck. What are we doing? There's a lot in music, I think. Junkyard Dog. Fuck, son. Yeah. It's a solid one. Um, no, there's some good ones out there for sure. But yeah, sports teams, that would have been too easy. Or, you know, sports franchises. Yeah, I guess. It wasn't too bad. You got me out of the box, but I fucked my shit up. I like... Uh, I doubled up wrestlers and superhero. I kind of like sports mascots that aren't animals, right? Because animals are like these, you know, tigers, wildcats, bears. You like them so, to be a little more offensive. Yeah, offensive you. or, you know, have a little more character to them. Like, there's some good high schools in Illinois that have unique names yeah. well even like one locally right the a couple like the gray ghosts like chill yeah. the obviously gray ghosts white uh, ghosts the, are taken the morton potters like that's a that's weird that's unique good. it's definitely corn um, jerkers you know about that centralia one. they're the orphans yeah the hoopston corn jerkers the freeport pretzels flaming hearts and the effingham. effingham flaming hearts yeah which i think they dropped the flaming and they're just the effingham hearts now well played um they didn't want people to stop buying their shit. <laughs> well, fuck. I, yeah. I guess. Um, I like thought, guys, advertising, advertising. We got to think about it. But yeah, there's definitely some unique ones out there that are, that are fun. No, um, I, the, I do love a good. I love going back in the day. You end right. up some strange gym for a nine o'clock wrestling tournament. You just start looking at those fucking pennants. You're like. Where in the fuck are they? You know right. what I mean? Be down like Taylorville tornadoes, you know. So you're like you're looking around, you're like Capitals, no you, right? What the fuck? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like no. Well, like I think the there's a. You are. Saw a story of a, you know, back in the day, like I mean, all sports used to be one single class at the high school level, um, but like basketball when it was that way, and this is probably I don't know 50s or 60s, maybe even 70s. Um, there was a there's a small town down south called Cobden or the Cobden Apple Knockers, I think is what they're called. And obviously all white dudes. It's kind of like the bald knobbers and, that Beans was trying and to sell they, to. <laughs> and they won the the high school state championship, I'm pretty sure. The hobnobbers? Um, the apple knockers. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And uh, you know, against, you know, I'm sure at school from Chicago or something like that. But this, I think I the thing I watched on it though, I think they beat like Pekin High, like on their like at, at the state tournament or something like that. Which I mean, I'm sure at the time, even now, I mean, would have been a school we're talking a school of a few hundred versus a school of a, probably a few thousand. Yeah. You know, I mean we're, that's just yeah, crazy. we're talking what's like Hoosiers even dirt, like back when floor. the Hoosiers yeah. thing, like that was a single class. I think Indiana was the last state to go away from single class state basketball championships and, true uh, true champion yeah regardless and you know they beat a big city school in the championship or whatever i mean and obviously the movie's a little different than reality but i mean reality yeah, gene was gene hackman was wasn't there i small, know it's a very small town Fuck. i'm high i'm not that high right. <laughs> i will say 
a little puff beforehand. I'm agreeing with you already more in the first 19 minutes than I probably I don't know if that's good for, I don't know 19 hours that we've for done the this show or not. Oh, I'll find my I'll find my form. <laughs> no, when you brought this idea up, to be honest, I wasn't sold on what? Just the idea of it. Which one, the five for five or the bands? The bands. I wasn't sold. Just the fact that it was your idea. Then well, it was really wasn't fucking sold when the Beach Boys came out. But you come in with the Eagles, huge fan. Love me some Eagles. Always have. Joe Walsh, also a huge fan. Even owned a couple Don Henley albums yeah. when he went out on his own. And like when I look back now, and we'll talk more about this later, I'm sure. When I look back now on like the solo careers that Don Henley and Glenn Fry had, and I'm like, man, I don't really like like that style could, of that style imagine, of music. I'm like, could I'm you imagine crazy. being that fucking stubborn that you basically had anything you wanted? They could have stayed together and put out fifty fucking right. albums, and Which people would have bought each yeah, one. And we'll just talk like about Yeah, we'll did. talk about what led, led to that and stuff. You're but fucking stupid. They, but I'm saying like I don't. I'm not crazy about like. I mean, yeah, I obviously am familiar with a lot, especially Don Henley. I think you could say he was more successful as a solo artist than Glenn Frey was. But give me Glenn the Frey one. Was still give successful. me the one song you remember from what Don Henley. Um, Dirty Boys Laundry. of Summer. I mean, it was is a is a big one that I okay. remember. Dirty Laundry. Okay. I mean, there's a several. I mean, he won two, some yes. single Grammys, several for whatever on for his those own. two songs, I think. Um, and then, but it's like, I forget though that even even when the Eagles got back together, the songs they made at that point in time sounded very similar to the songs they made solo. But it's like that's just the style of music that was coming out in that genre in the mid '90s. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. try to like that. That's something we could go down to is. Yeah. How some of these bands try to change. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think they change too much. Yeah. From I mean, what got it them wasn't, famous. I don't think they got too far away from what they did. It just they just evolved within their genre, you know. It it mm -hmm. was just bad company did the same thing. The and then now granted, you know, they're, I they're nowhere on the same level. I, I am definitely a bigger fan of old Eagles rather than new Eagles for sure. Right, and that's uh, what I'm saying. I think yeah. some of these people, you turn on Led Zeppelin, doesn't matter whenever they made it. Regardless that they sold their soul to the devil, they sound the same. When you turn it on before they ever sing, you're like, you fucking know who it is. Because right. they kept that sound, like the sound that made them mm -hmm. famous. They've ACDC, another one. You fucking turn it on, you're like, ACDC. Even when they're 60 years old. like Yeah, something. oh, sure. The drums or the guitars when they kick in whatever right. tune they're at like you just fucking know yeah. acdc and, and we're gonna we'll get into it here um you know there i don't think there was anything never in anything that i've read or watched or heard about the eagles are there really any conversations about their exceptional musical talent right there's nothing they were doing that was like musically groundbreaking or whatever um obviously Glenn Fry and Don Henley were decent songwriters. Now, they listen, some, now they had a lot of help with that early when on. I, when I say this, you're going to get shitty with me, and I mean it with like the utmost respect. They were like the Nickelback of their time. No, I'm not going to get every shitty with you at all. song I mean, they dropped was just fucking popular. It sold. Yeah, they lived like rock stars, and for it the wasn't 15 it was to 20 just, years. They it was very. It, it was pretty simple stuff musically. There wasn't a lot about it that was 
super technical. It was just catchy with good lyrics. And, and they did it well. People liked it. Um, and that's a big reason why I think that they do kind of, they there is a certain segment of the population that just fucking hates them uh, because of that fact. So, you know, we'll kind of get into it here. So, um, you know, the Eagles, you know, they may have sold as many records um, they may have sold as many records as the Beatles, shagged as many groupies as Led Zeppelin, and done as many drugs as the Stones. But the Eagles still just can't get no respect. Um, since 1972, when renowned rock critic Robert Chris Criscow proclaimed, I hate them in a review of their first album, they've inspired scorn and mockery and certainly cried about it all the way to the bank. Uh, country rock godfather Graham Parsons reportedly called their music a plastic, quote, a plastic dry fuck. Their suckitude was one of the running gags in the Coen Brothers' 1998 cult favorite, The Big Lebowski. Hell, founding member Glenn Fry died in January of 2016, and people wrote articles about how much they hated them and what an asshole he was. So much for speak no ill. <clears throat> Um, and I believe in the Big Lebowski, the scene they're referring to is he's in like a cab, yeah. And the cab driver like turns the radio up, and he's like, "Come on, man, you turned I fucking hate the Eagles or some <laughs> shit like that." Which, uh, which is that's a relevant comment, right? And I don't know too many people. They're like, "Hey, turn that, turn that Seven Bridges Road down. That har- right. that harmony's no good." And like they're. They're widely, they're probably a top 10 band, I would say. Oh, I mean, especially in, if you in get into genre. like record sales, yeah. for sure. Like, despite just what you consider popular, I mean, actual. To like, be honest, I think if that's the case, like one record, they might be in the top five. Right. Of just for one, whatever one record. Hotel yeah. California, I think, is fucking. And you talk about. It's hanging on the wall. Yeah, exactly. And you, <laughs> you talk about mean? like reasons why people might like them. And maybe it's because they're too successful, too talented, too good looking. Uh, maybe they were too polished sounding and all too comfortably and confidently. Uh, they played the music business game and were very successful at it. Or maybe it's just because they were kind of dicks. Um, so and, and I don't think they're really dicks, but this, you know, I, I tried to make sure that it outlined in here sort of the angle of where. You know, people had a kind of a tough perspective of them, especially Glenn Fry probably carried that torch for them the most. Yeah, it was Gene Simmons. Yeah. But kind of a dick. That's what I'm saying. At some point in time, him and Henley have an issue, right? Not bad, though. Their their issue was very minuscule. I mean, it was more caused by just, like, too much time together. No. Um, they don't have a major falling out. The, the, the wedge that? that's driven in things is mostly because of other people. Can you fucking imagine that? You spent too much time together with guys in the beginning, start off as your buddies. Now you're making millions of dollars in a time when people think, aren't making shit. I just the stress of everything that was happening. The cocaine drove a wedge. I get it. Yeah. Let's let's get to the cold we, hard facts uh, we'll here. Let's there. talk about that cocaine. We'll get to the cocaine. So there's a great documentary that Netflix released in 2013 called History of the Eagles. And, um, you know, the story, it's the story of the band is told by Glenn Fry and Don Henley in this. Um, ironically, that's also what ultimately broke up the band in a way. And while there's no doubt that the pair sang and co-wrote the majority of the band's material, um, along with being instrumental in guiding their the career, they were sort of the two executives of the band. Uh, their insistence on being first among equals alienated one successive member after another. 
Um, and so what what that says is that you know those two guys, they were the voice of the band. They they made all the big decisions. They drove the and they were the creative masterminds for the most part. And we'll talk about there was definitely other people that contributed, um, but the, they steered the ship. And for the most part, everyone that was a part of this was on board. There's a few people along the way that had an issue with it and they caused problems. Um, but, you know, we'll get to more of that later. So you have Glenn Fry. He's the, the motor mouth guitarist from the Motor City of Detroit. He sang backup vocals for Bob Seeger um, while Henley was a thoughtful, though no less driven Texan who played in a band called Shiloh uh, that was discovered by Kenny Rogers. So kind of to elaborate more on those two stories, Glenn Fry grows up in the Detroit area. Motown's big. He gets into a couple bands. He's in like a band called the Mushrooms. They're they're playing kind of Motown stuff. He tells a story about how he goes to a frat party and there's a band playing. And he walks up to the band like the man's like, "Hey, like, do you know how to play Satisfaction?" And they're like, "Yeah." He's like, "Why not how to sing it? Fucking play it right now," type of thing. Uh, he 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 was very assertive, had a lot of confidence. And what's funny is like him and Don Henley both tell stories about how uh, Fry saw the saw the Beatles in person. And talk tells a story about how like there's this teenage girl that like collapses in his lap like she's just so overwhelmed by the Beatles, and he's like, "This is fucking crazy! Like I want that, you know." And then Don Henley talks about watching him on TV and with his parents and being like really impacted by that and realizing it's what he wanted to watching do. Watching the Beatles, yeah, yeah. And so the American um, Bandstand or something. I don't but the biggest, we never got that. No. We had TRL. Yeah, we exactly. The, the biggest thing that helped. uh Glenn Fry was he came in contact with Bob Seeger, who was also from Detroit, and would just kind of hang around, hang around the studio, talk to Bob Seeger, take comes, pointers. How comes you didn't take the Silver Bullet Band over the Beach Boys? Uh, we can talk about I would the Silver take, Bullet Band one of these I days. I can take them. And uh, you Turn know there was page. there was a plant. Well, he even sang backup on the song uh, "Rambling Gambling Man," and in the very first chorus, like you can like hear Glenn Fry's if you're listening for. It, like just super powerful in the first chorus of Ramblin' Gamblin' Man. And uh, he was he had plans to join Bob Seger's band as the bass player. And then his mom, he's like 15 years old at the time. His mom finds him like in the basement smoking weed with a buddy and kind of puts two and two together. Well, hey, you know, you hanging around with these guys has caused you to do this. So he calls up Bob Seger's manager, puts the axe on it. And so he never joins the band. Right. Um, both of them. and then Mama's like, boy. Kenny Rod or Kenny Rogers discovered Don Henley, and really what that how that happened is he was actually part of a band called Felicity, and they were playing somewhere, and he bumped into Kenny Rogers, and he says, "Hey, like we have this, uh, I have this band, I'd like to come listen to him." He's like, "I really don't do that sort of thing." He's like, "No, I think you'd really like us," and he's like, "I don't know why I did, but I wouldn't listen," and he's like, "You know, they thought they had potential, so he moved the, those guys out to L.A. and changed them to the change their name to Shiloh, and was like managing them, so." Hanley moves to LA, Glenn Fry moves to LA, and and that sort of sets the stage for how um, they would tear the Eagles. These apart guys would ultimately come years together. Later. Uh, <laughs> fuckers. So yeah, curly headed. They they ultimately chased, they ultimately chased their rock and roll dream to Southern California, uh, landing smack dab in the middle of the '60s country rock boom. And like, you know, there's hold a, on now. And fucking pump the brakes. 60s. Yeah, there was 60s. no country rock boom I'm saying, in LA. No, but listen, there was there's the, this time out in LA, you had 
You had the hate Ashbury. Well, no, this was the hate Ashbury of San Francisco. I know they're following the fucking white rabbit. So this is they have Laurel Canyon. There's like an area in LA where a lot of them live, and you had like the birds and Joni Mitchell revival. No, not even. He had like the birds and Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown and JD Souther and all these guys, the mamas and the papas, yeah, yeah. whatever. And you call that um, country rock? Well, actually, that's so? the way it's. I'm just. It's, it's what it's referred to. I, I mean, know. they even referred to the Eagles you. as country rock. Um, Mama Cass. And so these guys, you know, they had met each other just being at the same places. The Troubadour was kind of the the hub of where they all hung out. That's where all the these aspiring musicians would hang out and they would play and stuff like that. And while there, um, Linda Ronstadt was a big person who played the troubadour a lot. I know and the name fucking name one song. Linda Ronstadt. I'm yeah, exactly. But, but she's I Brenda Lee. We, I get it. Motherfucker. I get yeah, it. So they ultimately team up as uh, members of her backup group, but they bonded over a shared desire to start their own band. And during this time, Ronstadt was actually living with J.D. Souther, who um, who had kind of been involved in a band with Glenn Fry before he got with Linda Ronstadt. Like the two of them started a band, and they had this fucking weird name. They're called like the Long. Who who the fuck is J.D. Souther? John David Souther's name. J.D. Souther. He's like okay. so. Ooh. You're gonna you're gonna as we go through this, you're gonna realize that I thought about this as I've kind of done more research about the Eagles. The Eagles, it's almost like Jackass. Like you have like the main cast, but then there's these few like. They're flying and people out that are always time. hanging around and contribute to it, but they're not really like core members. And so JD Souther is one of those guys. Keyboards twice. No, like he on two songs. So he ultimately really JD Souther was a he helped write a lot of songs. Oh, okay. Was his thing, but it, it was almost like, especially in hindsight, when you look back at what happened, he's it was almost like he saw he saw this yeah. maybe, and he was like, "Listen, Fuck I don't want to be a part of the drama, but you know, he's a part of a lot of the writing credits and." Uh, publishing on a lot of different things. So, like, he's definitely, he's making the money without being involved in the well, bullshit. Fucker, he's like us. That, we don't know how to play <laughs> guitar. Comes from, he's like, hold up, hold up. I can throw some shit down. Yeah, but. so they had been in a band together, and they had a crazy name. It was like Long Branch Whistle something. It was a goofy fucking name. Um, and, yeah, it was just weird as shit. So, anyhow. Um, can you find Long Branch Whistle something? On Spotify, I think you can honestly. Okay. Right. Um, just throwing it out there. Oh, Long Branch Penny Whistle was the and name of yes. Fry and JD Souther's band. Yeah, smoking weed. Um, so they had been involved in a band together and then they just decided it wasn't gonna work out. Uh, but they remained great friends like Glenn Fry and JD Souther. And shortly after Fry and Henley had decided to start their own band, and like it was really cool because they were when they went on tour with Linda Ronstadt, they were rooming together most of the time. And so eventually they're like, hey, like, it seems like we have a lot in common as far as what we want to do with our careers. Like, I'd like to start a band together. And they were both like, yeah, let's fucking do that. And you'd think that, like, you have Linda Ronstadt, who basically gave these guys a job, you know, basically was buying drinks for them at the Troubadour where they couldn't afford to buy their own drinks. And you would think that maybe what we got there, we got the Long Branch Penny Whistle. Ten seconds. Ten seconds or we get taken down. All right, you gotta hear the seeds of the Eagles being planted right there a little bit. No, I don't know. There's probably seed being planted <laughs> between the two. I don't know. So, but they know. they approached Linda Ronstadt about this idea, like, hey, like we want to hey, leave your serious band. question. Yeah, Glenn Fry, Cocksmith, yes or no? Like a homo? No. Are like just 
Coxman. No, you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, So they approach her and say, listen, we want to start our own band. Um, Are you okay with this? And like, she probably would have been well within herself to say like, listen, like that's a dick move because I'm giving you guys an opportunity. But no, she wasn't. She was hundred percent supportive and she actually helped like recommend some people to them. And, uh, you know, so once they decide to start their band, she refers them to get, uh, she, she'd done some work with Bernie Ledden, who was currently a member of the flying burrito brothers who I've never heard of other than an Eagle story. Yep. So they get guitar player, Bernie Ledden from the flying burrito brothers. She tells them, Hey, you need to go after Randy Meisner who plays bass and sings very high vocals for Poco. And those four guys made up the first version See, now you were talking about Poco earlier. What the fuck is Poco? It's a band. I know it's a band called Poco. Just yeah. like the Flying Burrito. Yeah, Flying Monster. Burrito Brothers. Yeah. And um, everyone in the band could sing, and everyone, each one had a distinct voice. Uh, and you had the Smoky and Soulful Henley, the Strident Frey, Fry, Jesus, and Meisner's ability to hit high notes. And uh, when they sang together in four part harmony, the clouds parted, angels rained down on earth, and sorority girls got weak in the knees. Ronstadt said they used to rehearse in in my house when I was living with JD because um, we had a bigger living room than they did. And I remember coming home one day and they had rehearsed Witchy Woman and they had they had all the harmonies worked out and, and uh, four part harmonies. And it was fantastic. I knew it was going to be a hit. You could just tell that they had a really had really strong voices and really strong playing, really strong songwriting ideas. And they had extended an extended pool of songwriters like. Jack Tempton and J.D. Souther and Jackson Brown. Uh, and it was just an amazing time. And there was no way they could miss they could miss all that going for them. So they had a ton of shit going for them at that point in time. Um, you had, you know, Bernie Ledden was probably had the most experience. He had played like with the birds a little bit, played with the Flying Breeder Brothers. He's probably had the most success musically at that point in time. Um, you know, another interesting fact is, you know, Glenn Fry, you know, says that he learned how to write music from living with Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown talked him into uh, moving down to the Echo Park area of L.A., said, hey, man, rent's cheaper. It's like 125 bucks a month. And once he gets him and J.D. Souther to move there, he moves into like this, what Fry calls like an illegal apartment below their place. It's like basically a, a closet yeah. for 35 bucks a month. But Glenn Fry tells a story about He's like, I learned how to re- re- or learn how to write music because I would wake up every morning to Jackson Brown's teapot whistling, and I'd hear the piano start, and he'd play the first verse, and it was all, it was a song, Doctor in My Eyes. He's like, he'd play the first verse, he'd sing it, he'd stop, he'd play it again, play it twenty times in a row. Then the next thing you know, I hear the teapot whistle again. He'd come back and he'd start playing again, and it'd be the second verse, and he'd play it twenty times in a row, adjust it, tweak it, so on. And he's like, okay, that's how you that's how you write music, and you know, so I mean, it, it's just they all these guys around them that contributed so much, uh, which is kind of funny when you think about how, yeah, as we go on, you'll find out more and more about how Glenn Fry and Don Henley sort of try to keep as much of the pie for themselves as things go on. But they really did not, almost none of this was done exclusively by the two of them or either one individually. That there was always a third piece or even a fourth piece. Yeah, they always the made connections with someone. Yeah, uh, and a lot of times it was people came to them with something that was incomplete, and they would just finish, finish it, it and make yeah. it their own. 
Um, so uh, things move fast for the Eagles. And thanks to friend Jackson Brown, they hooked up with David Geffen's Asylum Records and, and nabbed a British superstar producer, Glenn Johns, to helm the recording of their first album. Uh, their self-titled debut featured top 40 singles, including their signature song, Take It Easy, and smoothed out country rock's rough edges. It was the right sound at the right time, laid back, melodic music for baby boomers trying to put in, uh, trying to put the tumult of the 60s behind them. And as they enter the 70s as young adults, um, you know, I think the sound that the Eagles were producing at that time was very attractive to them. And so an interesting story about Glenn John. So Glenn John's helped produce bands like the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones, and a theme that constantly exists through all this is Glenn Fry really wanted the Eagles to be a rock band. And I don't know that, I mean, I would say the Eagles are probably the most anonymous soft rock band of all time. And he always wanted it to be heavier and yeah. all that stuff. He wanted to be a rock star. And that's why he was like, I want Glenn Johns to be our producer. And so by the time they get with Glenn Johns, though, this guy's coming off of years of being, having his, you know, eardrums beat in by Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and so on. And so he tells them no, like twice, two or three times, like listens to them. is like, no, no. Because once they signed with David Geffen, David Geffen's like, you guys got some work to do. He sends them to Aspen, Colorado. Like basically, hey, go live there for a few months, play in bars, learn how to play together, figure it out. And they t- even the Eagles say they're like, we've met people that were higher than we've ever been, like, you know, and everything else. And uh, Glenn John says, you know, he went there and listened to him. It was like, I, I just didn't get it. I felt like they were confused. And I was just like, no, thanks. He's like, but, you know, sometimes you got to see people in different settings. So I was like, let me see them in like a rehearsal setting. Because they play the same shit they played in Aspen, and I just didn't get it. And I was getting ready to leave, and they were going to take a break, and they decided to come together. And they're like, hey, let's sing this little harmony we're going to do. And it was the first time like someone had heard like one of these Eagles, classic Eagles harmonies. He was like, that's it. like That's the sound. Like, and What song was it? Um, it wasn't even a popular song. It was something that Randy Meisner wrote. I, I don't know if it even – I'm sure it was on like maybe an early album, but I can't recall. It was called like, right. uh, The Devil Something. Um because it's like something like you know something about being a handsome devil or whatever but he wanted them to come to london to record so they went to the famous olympic studio in london where zeppelin and all these other bands had recorded and glenn fry had some issues with glenn johns because glenn johns had a strict rule of like no drugs or alcohol in the studio like it's all business and and henley was on board with this he's like you know i felt like we would be more productive and make do better work if we weren't fucking around at why we're trying to get the shit done. And so that was like the first thing, you know, cause like I said, you know, Glenn Fry wanted to be a rock star and wanted to live the rock star lifestyle. And that just wasn't, but he, but Glenn Johns had been so wore out by this, you know, he of years of like doing the stones and like letting Keith Richards go down in the basement and get high and play his guitar until something came to mind, you know, and then they'd right. come up and record and just, he was just over it. Yeah. I'm not fucking <laughs> with you. <laughs> <Right. Billy's. laughs> and so, uh, and then the next thing that happened, and this is a Don Henley beef with Glenn Johns, is Don Henley wanted uh, like a microphone on every drum of the drum set for recording. And Glenn Johns is more of this organic guy, like put a few mics around the room, maybe one or two on the drum set and just let it happen. And he's like, I, you know, I want one on every, on every drum of the kit. And he goes, you know, well, no, he's like, I, you know, John Bonnie, you know, because he did Led Zeppelin. He's like, I, you know, didn't do this for them. He's like, just, he's like, oh, he goes, well, I can't, 
you know, I can't kick it hard enough. He's like, well, if you want it, if you want the mic to pick it up, kick, you'll kick the bass drum harder. He's like, I'm not fucking John Bonham. Like I can't fucking do that or whatever. Like, and you know, so there's, you know, stories about that. And I just found that was kind of interesting. And they only worked with Glenn Johns for their first two albums. And then they eventually uh, parted ways. So the first album, the self-titled album, the Eagles was really it was successful i mean i think it was a top 20 album or something like that so they had to come up with a way to try to duplicate that success or build on it and so big things were expected from the follow-up album and this, this was the western outlaw concept album desperado they had the songs desperado tequila sunrise um and it failed to match the success of the debut album and this began to sour relations with johns and to a lesser extent bernie Ledden. Uh, the Eagles wanted to rock and felt constrained by Johns. Uh, he was done rocking. You know, Glenn Johns had been rocked to his core and he was just wasn't his thing anymore. I think he was ready to relax into some more, something more easy listening. He'd already made his money. Yeah. What's the difference? Sure. Um, so between, you know, John's production and Ledden's country guitar style. So Bernie Ledden was traditionally a banjo country rock guitar player um what they call you know the bendy style of guitar playing you know he was not a rock guitarist and one thing they kind of you know Glenn fry mentions is he's like anytime we played a song that was that i was singing that was kind of a heavier song bernie Ledden was playing lead guitar well he wasn't a rock guitarist at any time we were playing something more country-ish right. he's like i was the lead guitar player while he sang it and i'm not a country guitarist and um so that's what started to kind of sour the relationship there and so the eagles wanted to rock and felt constrained by the production lens guitar stylings and um it's almost cute to hear the band talk about how they wanted to move in a heavier direction as few bands are synonymous like i mentioned earlier with the term soft rock as the eagles um so what they did is they end up coming across fleet fingered lead guitarist don felder um, and manager Irving Azoff, who brought brought with him uh, Bill Sismic, the band's producer, through um, the end of the decade. Everything coalesced in the time, by the time of the 1975s, one of these nights for their first number one album. So cool thing about Irving Azoff. So they get Irving Azoff, this guy's their manager, and he like he fucking parties with them, he hangs with them. And Glenn Fry tells a story about how they decided they were going to take a trip to the Bahamas. They had like a private plane and shit. But he's like, we're all, you know, the term they use, he's like, we're all holding. Everybody but Henley, you know, he's like, I got joints in my sock. And, you know, he's like, Irving's got fucking. Everybody's packing. Irving's oh, yeah. got volumes in his pocket and everything else. And he's like, we get there and all of a sudden we see there's these like customs agents. They're wanting to search our baggage and everything else. And we're like, this isn't good. And they start checking us out. He's like, next thing, he's like, so we're freaking out. He's like. Henley's pissed. <laughs> he's like, we're, you know, he's like, I fucking told you guys type of thing. He's like, and I see Irving Azoff walks over and with these, you know, customs agents and he's talking to him for a few minutes. And next thing I know, they let us go on through. He's like, I don't, I still to this day have no idea what he said to him. I don't know what he gave him. He's like, but from that moment forward, he's like, he was the best manager in the world, <laughs> in my opinion. So, um, you know, so that's one thing too. I mean, I think he was their manager the whole time. Like they never fired him, got rid of him. I mean, from beginning to end. Where were they at? The Bahamas. 
so they didn't fucking get caught up in St. Martin. I'd kept his ass around too. Right. You, you know what that fucking jail looks like. Oh, well, that's what that's what Glenn Fry's like. All I could imagine is like I'm gonna be spending whatever in a Bohemian prison. Like, oh fuck, hundred and fuck. <laughs> so, so all this stuff uh, sets the stage for the 1976 landmark Hotel California album. Um, Azoff also managed hard rocking guitar hero Joe Walsh. So when Birdie led and quit the Eagles, uh, famously pouring a beer over Glenn Fry's head in the in the dressing room, Walsh replaced him. Um, it almost seemed like a corporate merger, adding a genuine solo star uh, with a portfolio of hits and actual hard rock credibility. Uh, Walsh, however, was a wild card, having been ment- having been mentored in the fine art of hotel destruction by legendary Who drummer Keith Moon. Initially, this was also seen as a plus, giving the band. Um, a rock and roll bad boy edge, which I know like from our conversation. You talk about the Eagles. I'm a huge fan Joe of Walsh. God damn. Yes. That's where it starts and stops for me. Absolutely. And, and and he really did. I mean, he kind of what I look at, like the 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 Hotel California album was absolutely the most successful. That was like the pinnacle for the Eagles right there. And the lineup at that point in time, you had Glenn Fry, Don Henley, Don Felder, Joe Walsh. Those two guys, two great guitar players, and then you had the, you had Randy Meisner who played bass, who sang, you know, had the high hit the high notes and like take it to the limit and stuff like that. And then I think he was right at the tail end of that success was replaced by um, Timothy Schmidt. But for uh, me, the big point is not until Joe Walsh shows up does the pale vampire Howie Anton Levey, because he's most definitely on that second tier in the album i don't he's think up so. there see and, and i've they, he's they talk there. about it in I that they do. in the documentary and they're like there's no like there's been stories and stories and stories about he's hotel there. california having all these crazy meanings and stuff we're he's keeping like, it alive he's there he's like there's there's absolutely nothing you can stab it with your steely knife but you just can't kill but the that beast. was that's a reference to steely dan i know it is but they said that uh, he's like, sure. Sometimes when you write songs, you have stuff in there that's got a different meaning because you always like to have like part of that song that's like yours, you know, that like no one else knows or realizes. He goes, but you know, he's Henley says he's like Hotel California was more of a, to, in his opinion, was sort fighting of a, demons. Of a coming of age story. Yeah. They're fighting demons, um, and they're for sure, and they never beat them. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so let's talk about Joe Walsh a little bit, your guy. He's the undisputed American king of room trash. And after befriending the likes of Keith Moon, John Belushi, um, he made his life goal to not only make influential music, but also set records for destruction. Hotels all around the country began banning Joe Walsh, and consequently his innocent bandmates would uh, fall victim to this as well um, from ever stepping foot on to some of these properties. And endless drugs and partying were only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Joe had an affinity for absolutely demolishing his hotel rooms like no one else in history. Could you imagine putting down a $10,000 deposit on an $80 room? (laughs) (laughs) And that that was probably titties back then. Right. That's a suite. Sure. You you got half the hotel. Yeah, I mean, this guy, you're talking about throwing TVs over balconies. He'd cut down walls with chainsaws, tearing wallpaper and lighting uh, lighting things on fire were all parts of Walsh's redecorating methods. Um, this maniac was said to have caused upwards of $28,000 worth of room damage in a single room 
He notably trashed a Benihana restaurant with John Belushi when they decided that they wanted to become or they wanted to be cooks. Uh, they also defaced antique Victorian chairs in another fancy restaurant. So there's a story, and, and I'm sure it ties into that story, where Walsh says he gets at the hotel in there in Chicago. Here's a knock on the door, opens it, and it's John Belushi. And he's like, I want to show I'm like, he wanted to take him out and show him like some of the finer restaurants in Chicago and stuff like that. Love Belushi. And he said they go to a restaurant and the Mater D wouldn't let him in because they had jeans on. He told him no. Like Belushi's like trying to give him 300 bucks to let him in. They're like, no. And he's like, so next thing I know, he's like, we're staying in this aisle and he's spray painting my jeans with black spray paint. <laughs> and then he makes me spray paint his. And we go back and we get in. He's like, so then he's like, we're sitting at, a t- at these tables and there's Covered there's these paint. fancy Victorian chairs. He's like, so when we stand up, the paint is on the chairs and no longer on our jeans or whatever. And and talks about how they got kicked out of there. And uh, that same night is the night of the twenty eight thousand dollars and room damage uh, that to, was caused. To be honest, I had no clue about the John Belushi connection yeah. with him and Joe Walsh. But the the famous song, you know, I can't find the door, four o'clock in the morning, leaving the party, totally makes sense. Yeah. Well, Belushi was a fucking animal. Like, yes. that guy would get down. Absolutely, man. I think he was just as live in person as he was in character. and That's why he's no longer with yeah. us. And uh, to reference your your comment earlier, um, in an interview talking about his past with Conan O'Brien, uh, Joe Walsh recalls leaving around $10,000 security deposits on hotel rooms just to be able to have a place to stay uh, while touring because they didn't want his presence. Uh, recalls trying so what, all different... So what, what, what you just said, he talking about his past he was talking about it with conan o'brien he wasn't talking about like some kind of past with conan o'brien right no yeah he was oh. talking about his past sorry he was talking he about his past right there sorry like, he was on he was on conan o'brien no he was on conan o'brien talking <laughs> about his past joe joe walsh has buried his demons he's yeah. been sober for a very long yeah. time but the amount of cocaine that guy would do i told yeah. you black sabbath got pissed because they would rent the same studio as the eagles and geezer butler one night was pissed because they spent an entire hour like trying to clean all the cocaine out of the mixing board before they could record and that's it. one thing once they went to uh a seismic from being with glenn johns like before they signed with him as their producer like they were like listen like we want to have final say over how shit sounds don henley wants a mic on every drum right but and he had a much more open frame of mind on drugs and whatever in the studio sure. and it things really got crazy then i mean that's when like hotel california all that stuff i mean it, but it also took him a lot fucking longer to record a record oh uh, for sure you know what I mean? imagine me fucked up every day so um you know he re, you know joe walsh again recalls to trying all kinds of different substances in his day but was most fond of the combination of cocaine vodka and camel lights uh his 15 year long drug binge resulted in a near fatal overdose but ended when don henley and glenn, glenn fry decided to reunite the eagles uh, Walsh is now over 25 years sober and claims it's been one of the hardest things he's ever had to do. And so that's one thing that happens is when the Eagles decide to get back together, Glenn Fry, Don Henley, like, let's do this. The first person they meet with is Joe Walsh. And they tell him that they ask him if they want to be, if he wants to be a part of, it. he says, yes. And they tell him that the only way he can be a part of it is if he gets sober. And so he gets into rehab and got sober and has been ever since. And Don Henley or Glenn Fry says that, you know, 
some of the newer stuff that they did. He's that's the best I've ever heard him play or sing ever. Um, but then Joe Walsh also says like it was terrifying for him to go out there and play in front of people sober because he'd never done it before. Right. You know, um, old habits die hard. Sure. Uh, so the band was already successful, but Hotel California put them in another league. Uh, it was their second number one album in a row, generating three top 20 singles, including the epic title track, and eventually sold nearly 50 million copies worldwide. Um, but it also sealed the group's fate. By now, Glenn Fry and Don Henley were resolute in their positions as the band's executive committee, uh, but success embodied the other members who saw their contributions short- shortchanged uh, for whatever Fry and Henley deemed as good for the Eagles. And that's one thing that Joe Walsh talks about a lot in the documentary is he says there was times when things were happening that he didn't like, you know, or like they'd be on the plane and Walsh and not Walsh Fry and Henley would be in the back with Irving as off making bad decisions. I didn't like not being a part of that. He's like, but I also understood that like they were going to do what was best for the band. And he's like, I knew that. And so that's what made me okay with it. Don Felder on the other hand was not okay with this. Um, so why didn't he throw his hat in the ring? Uh, so so he and, did. And some of that comes up. So like the stakes were high, and so was so <laughs> the stakes were high, and so was the band. Um, and one of the documentary's most cringe-inducing scenes, uh, Glenn Fry brags about bullying the soft-spoken Meisner backstage after refusing to sing his hit song "Take It to the Limit" out of fear his voice would crack. Uh, the bassist would quit before the recording of the band's final original album. Uh, 1979's The Long Run, and he was replaced by Timothy Schmidt, who oddly replaced Meisner in the band Poco. And so, like, Randy, he was a very soft-spoken, like, laid-back guy, Randy Meisner wasn't, you know. Yeah, that's why I the, think take it to the limit one more time, whatever. Yeah. And, like, he said, like, he was, he kind of had stage fright about it. I mean, because it was, you know, he's like, this is one of their encore songs. They'd go over and they'd come out and they'd sing that. And, He's like, I don't want to do it. He's like, everybody's fucking here to hear you sing that fucking song and hit that note. He's like, the fucking be a bitch, go out there and sing it. And he refused. Right. And you know, Glenn Fry threw a fucking fit about it. Um, why? Why didn't Joe step in and help him out? Give him high. <laughs> right. a little bump, get a guy yeah, out there. Maybe. I'd, but I mean, that'd be the highest right. fucking note I ever sang. Uh, yeah. Right? So. They're right. they're Dick, and what's crazy is agree? Right. So they're they're fine their final show. Hold on, hold yeah. on. We need a real conversation. Dick, cocaine? No. No? Never? Never. Fuck. I'm just telling you. Gotta hate to say it. <laughs> it gets it gets good about the time it is really bad for you. So that's <laughs> so, yeah, I swear to God. So that's the number one reason. Oh, it's so bad for you. No, I'm afraid I would like it. What do you mean it gets good the time it's really bad for you? What's your just the kind of high. Now that you're at least more educated, you know what I mean? Like you know better than oh, just because I did this, now I'm gonna go do this. In your mind you're just like, no, nah, motherfucker, you just stay right here. You're high as a kite. Just age wise, when you're younger, fuck you're you're Superman. I gotcha. Okay. You get a little bit older, you realize Superman still died one day. Right. He can't even ride a horse no more. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you just, you fucking know where to be. Stay in the pasture. It ain't bad out here. So the band's final show, they they got kind of uh, there at the, 
the in nineteen eighty, I guess it was. They got kind of involved with politics a little bit. Glenn Fry was getting involved with politics, and there was a couple senators or people running for senator that they agreed with their views on, and they were kind of trying. They were playing it like benefits and shit like that. And him and Henley were like on board with this, but like Don Felder is like, I don't know shit about politics. I don't give a fuck about politics. And so there was uh, the senator they were at an event for, and the senator came up to each one of them individually and like thanked them for what they were doing. And when he shook Don Felder's hand, Don Felder was like, you're welcome. And kind of turned around. I was like, I guess. And Glenn Fry heard that. And it like fucking and him and Felder didn't get along really anyways. And that just fucking set him off. And he went back in the dressing room, like smashed a beer off the wall. And, but they had to go on and play a show and there's audio recording of them on stage and Bitching like back and between songs, like, like, Glenn Fry is like telling him, he's like, you know, he's like three more songs. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, I mean, he's like telling him like, as soon as this fucking shit's over, like I'm going to fucking kill you. And as soon as the set ends, um, Felder like runs out of there and gets in his limo and is gone. I thought he beat shit out of him. No, no? nobody want to fight Glenn. I guess not. Uh, so well, another interesting Glenn story is, they always they have a lot of really cool stories on how they came up with names for songs or concepts for songs. Do you, I got a question for you. I'm gonna dig into your knowledge because I I have no background. I just seen the pictures. What's up with the baseball game? What do you mean? You ever seen the baseball game? What are you talking about? One of the band members got like a Japanese. I don't know if they're playing in Japan. Glenn Fry. He's got his arm around Glenn. He's chugging a beer they're wearing black and gold jerseys that say eagles across the chest of them and then i seen other pictures where it's like the entire band wearing the same jersey i just did now i know that in the documentary talks about how like they would when they had off days they try to blow off some steam and they'd get the crew and everybody and they go out and play like a softball game and shit but um Maybe uh, that's what it was. Could but, have been. But it looks like in any Japanese pro No, I don't think so. You'd be surprised. <laughs> the Eagles versus the Giants. So they have a lot of cool stories though with how names of their songs came came to be or different concepts. And like one, like you'll like this. So the song "Life in the Fast Lane." Um, Glenn Fry says he's riding down, riding down like the interstate with a drug dealer, and he's like, you know, we've got a lot of cocaine on us and he's like we're heading to a poker game and he's driving like 90 miles an hour and i was like hey man what are you doing and he's like it's just life in the fast lane and he's Fuck like yeah he's like i was that like was the next song he's like that's i knew that was a song title right then and there um and then a couple other stories so here's here's kind of plays into where a lot of these songs like as much as these guys really like carried the torch for the band like you realize that a lot of their popular songs came from other places so like uh take it easy it's like jackson brown wrote had started writing take it easy but he had gotten stuck in the second verse and just like the last thing he had jackson brown had was staying on a corner in winslow arizona and that was it and he just got stuck and couldn't whatever and glenn fry was like such a fine sight to see a girl my lord to flatbed forward slow down take a look at me and boom they took it from there and it became and Jackson Brown gets songwriting Credit. credits and stuff yeah. like that for it for a quarter of the song. But um, 
you know, or like Hotel California. So like w- what caused the beef with Don Felder is he he always wanted the band to be equal. In his eyes, we were all here. We're all doing it. This should all be split up the same. Yeah. I, and he, everybody else in the band sang, sang at some point in time, except for him. And he wanted to sing and he felt that like he claims he was promised to sing a song on the next album. And he had recorded, he came up with a song. Why do you say it like that? I'm just saying. Promised. I, well, that's he what it probably they was. And so, but this is what they did to him. We're doing boatloads of cocaine. He had a song. He recorded it. Then they had Irving Azoff take him out for lunch. And then Don Henley re-recorded it with his vocals. And that's the one they released. Yeah. And then even Felder says, he goes, he goes, my beef is I felt like they promised me a song. He's like, I'm not bitching that they recorded Don Henley's vocal over my vocal. He's like, anybody's vocal compared to Don Henley's vocal. He's like, of course you're gonna take Don Henley. He's like, but just the fact that I felt you know, I was promised this and right. never you got it. Take it away. Yeah. Um and I'm, but, I'm I'm all for the fact. I'm a huge really good bands don't replace people as much as the Eagles. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean Sure. I'm just saying I mean, the, they co- did, the open like, door. Yeah, that's not cool. It and doesn't work out well. It did for them. Sure. I mean, they're they might be the the exception a little bit. And for they, sure. So they also said that like Felder would also always give them cassettes with like guitar shit. And he's like 95% of them were useless. But they said him and Henley were listening one day and they was like, you know, hey, like this is like this is unique. It's kind of like Spanish music mixed with reggae, and it was the guitar riff for Hotel California. Um, that's where they got that from. So and you then, tell me it's been Carlos Santana the whole goddamn time. <laughs> um, and you know, so that was interesting. And then I'm trying to think, I know there's a couple other ones. Um, they had a guy that would help him write some songs, and then JD Souther would help write a lot of songs for them as well. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm not feeling as great about the Eagles as I was coming into this. Well, I mean, they're great. I mean, they're, you can't deny At, their success. Together, but I mean, there's yeah. a lot of drama there. And I mean, unfortunately for everyone's bank can't account, classic, songs. classic, right? Classic rock radio kept playing their, you know, kept their music alive and kept playing it. And the 80s were initially pretty kind to both Glenn Fry and Don Henley, who both also, who both had hits. And, um, you know, Joe Walsh had a little bit as well, but he got a little whacked out and, Fortunately, the band's 94 reunion, you know, precipitated him getting sober, as in, you know, the whole we talked about earlier, get sober, you're not coming back for this reunion tour. Um, and luckily, it worked out for him. And, you know, Glenn Fry says at one point that, and talking about, and talking with Irving about putting the Eagles back together in 94, he said, Irving, I'm not going to do it unless Don and I make more money than the other guys. And he says it on the documentary. He's like, you know, I'm not doing this unless me and Henley make more than everybody else. He's like, we're the only two people that have had successful solo careers while the band, we've kept the idea of the Eagles alive by us two just still having success and being relevant for the last 14 years. And, you know, and all that. He's like, you know, we were the primary leaders of the band beforehand. And, hey, you, you don't have to explain lead singer to me. I get it. <laughs> but he said that he goes, they think they're the end all be all. Sure. And but he said everyone else, you know, Joe Walsh was totally cool with that. Timothy Schmidt was totally cool with that. Don Walsh Felder was still high. John Don Felder was not <laughs> again. Um well it is kind of bullshit though. You know what I'm that's what I'm saying. You probably didn't have this argument with a lot of older bands because they stayed together. Well, and it was probably even. 
in a lot of cases. Minus when John Lennon got taken out. <laughs> you take someone out of the Beatles, it's it's really it's not the same. I mean, yeah, I don't so, care what anybody argues. So Glenn Fry talks about picking up the phone, calling Don Felder's representation, and sa- saying something to that guy like, "Hey, listen, I'm sorry you represent the only asshole in the band, but you have until the sun sets tonight to sign this deal." Otherwise, we're going to fucking replace him and hangs up the phone and Felder signs the deal. How does he not have any rights to the Eagles himself? Seriously, though, I'm I'm just oh, saying at the time because it's like Journey playing with the Asian guy. Does he sound like Steve Perry? Yeah, he does. He don't look like him. No, seriously, though, it's 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 strange. It's different. You can't do that. What about the new Freddie Mercury? Pantera's yeah. trying it right now. Wasn't a the, new the band in excess or whatever. Queen. They had a show on TV oh. where they were trying to recruit like a new singer or something like 10, 15 years ago. You remember that? In excess? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, so the history of the Eagles documentary, it's well done and they're they're pretty unflinching about showing the ugly side of the band and um their kind of mercenary take on mu- on the music business. And you have to respect respect Fry and Henley being so forthright about what dicks they are, even if uh, their stage interview seems scripted and back back up their contention um, that it was their band all along. Um, with that in mind, it's interesting to consider how many of their biggest hits were co-written, like I was talking about, uh, be it Take It Easy from Jackson Brown, Hotel California, the music by Don Felder, Take It to the Limit was sung and co-wrote by Randy Meisner, which, Witchy Woman was the music by Bernie Ledden. Hold the fucking phone. Felder wrote Hotel California. He wrote the the music. He, like I told you the the yeah. Lick, yeah. He wrote the he gave them that's the his, music. That's yeah. his. That's their and entire wrote the lyrics. That's their entire catalog. Right. I ain't even fucking. No, like, I know, that's right. theirs. That's their great white buffalo. Right. Sure. So I think I just made the connection with Felder. <laughs> that fucking song still getting played and it's hung in this room. Yeah. I mean, I would be pissed. Well, like I said, it goes on, man. Like I said, witchy woman. Uh, Bernie Led wrote the music for Life in the Fast Lane was based on a Joe Walsh guitar riff. Now the, the, the title came from Glenn Fry's Encounter, but like uh the that was a warm-up that Joe Walsh used to do. Walsh is the shit. And, and you want to talk about yeah. guitar players ever in the world. He's on that list. Yeah. I mean, he's fucking he should have never quit the drugs. To right. be honest. And and you know, if you didn't like the Eagles before watching the history of the Eagles, it may not make you a fan. Uh, but I'm sure the guys in the band are fine with that. Uh, they can cry about it all the way to the bank, like I said earlier, except for Glenn Fry, because um he's dead. But uh I'm getting ready to throw another and, shovel on this sure, guy here in a minute. So they finished uh they they just finished their, they just finished their 2023 Hotel California tour, like where they played the Hotel California album front to back. And uh, with the current members, Don Henley, Joe Walsh, Timothy Schmidt, and Vince Gill. Uh, it's badass. So yeah. he took Felder's spot? No, well, Glenn Fry's spot, I guess. Oh, he's more, singing. More or less. No, Felder, you can't replace that guy? Uh, no, I think that him. I think Glenn Fry's son plays with him, cops in with him once in a while. But now Felder's out. He actually tried to sue the Eagles. For I don't playing? know if he was successful. No, I don't know. He attempted to sue. Because he eventually he gets left. a cut of it. But I mean, Hotel California. Long- <laughs> it's his fucking shit. I'd right. be pissed too. Now that you said it again, um, that's yeah, his baby. He ended, up, he ended up leaving. He said once they got back together in the nineties, like he goes, we didn't spend time together outside of. He's like, he's might have seen guys like 
walking into the venue. I was like, but other than on stage, he's like, we didn't spend time together. He's like, because I think everyone thought that as long as we weren't spending time together, it's less likely we'd have a problem and have to break up again. So they all pretty much kept to themselves outside of like when it was time to actually perform. Now let's talk about it. We talk about sports wise, the percentage of being successful. Talk about being successful in the music industry. And I'm not saying, uh, right. Said Fred, uh, not a one hit wonder. You're saying like sustained success. Fuck. And one of the top 10 selling albums of all time. Yeah. That's a fucking, that's a very rare space to be in. Well, Henley says he goes early on in the documentary. He's like, I struggled, man. Like with when, when we kind of like started having success because it was like, I, you know, those guys had all kinds of friends, right? In the business. He's like, no, he goes, I'm talking about Felder being oh, pissed. Sure. But he was just saying like, he goes, <laughs> that's it's a rare air to be. He in. goes, it's weird because it's like, I know other musicians that are just as talented as I am that aren't having this. You know, it's like, kind of like a, why me? type of thing he's like it's very weird like you know he's like he's like don't get me wrong he's like there's a lot of great things to come along with it but who's who's the common guy in this story who's the bitch i'm taking felder uh who's the bitch a lot felder of people probably tell like you a bitch if he, he ran he did he, he ran, ran. He, fuck yeah I'd that's what that's fight what that glenn, guy right that's there glenn main fry, stage that's glenn fry says he felder picked up his cheapest guitar and smashed it backstage and then ran to his limo like that was you know, and that was I'm trying to decide. I don't know who yet. You know, but I don't know. I mean, Glenn was definitely what was the real soft spoken one that left a long time ago Randy, to play for Paco. Randy Meisner. Okay. That's all I need. He know. wasn't the first one to leave. The first one that got outed was Bernie Ledden. He was the the original Eagles were Henley Fry, Bernie or Randy Meisner and Bernie Ledden. Bernie Ledden left because he was the one that played the more country stock, and they replaced him with Felder. Because Felder was a little more rock guitar guy. Yeah. And then they brought Joe Walsh in as like a... I don't know. I'm undecided. Because they said what they did is they used to tour with Joe Walsh. And they said that uh, what they would do is they'd roll they'd roll a road box out. They'd have Joe Walsh in the road box and pop out. And they'd play like Rocky Mountain Way. And then it just says, hey, you just want to fucking be in the band. Um, Bad decision, Joe. You know? And I don't know. He's still in it. Like... I, t- I looked up a couple years ago. I looked up tickets there in like St. Louis. They were fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Stupid. It's like a museum and a concert right. at the same time. I mean, I mean Don insane. Henley's got to be 85 years old. He looks like Ric Flair. He has to. Right. Um, His fucking ass was old in the 70s. It, I mean, for a for them to have the success they had for as long as they had. They've been playing for 50 fucking yeah. years. They're minimum yeah. 68. Yeah, seriously, 50 years. Because it was early minimum. 70s, man, when they got Minimum together. 68. You know? And yeah, they took the 80s off, basically, but... No, I I love the Eagles. I'm not going to lie. I love them. See, and honestly, watching that documentary is what opened my... I I think I like the Eagles' story more than I like their music. I like their music, but like they're, knowing their story makes me like the music more. I've owned... Steve Miller, Bob Seger, to be honest, I think at the time when they came out and got bigger, they were just knockoffs of the Eagles. That's what I'm saying. I feel like they are the nickelback of their time. Everything they touch turned to gold. Yeah. For whatever reason. And I think that there are. There's a lot of people out there just fucking hate them, man. Like, 
Right. And I just think it's because there's nothing, like I said, there's nothing musically technical they're doing or, or anything Besides crazy. Besides Joe Walsh. Yeah, sure. Joe Walsh was the yeah. show. Singers wise, they had really great harmony. Yeah, and Don Henley's a great vocalist. And the fact so a singing drummer, cry. like you don't see right. that very often. But you're right. They were and pretty mediocre thing, and just and that's one thing they said, like when when Felder was throwing a fit about not singing, Glenn Fry's be Glenn Fry's like argument was he goes, Listen, he's like, I don't even sing as much as I did early on. He's like, When you got fucking Don Henley, you let Don Henley fucking sing. Like he's like, I you know, he's like as the the more and more the band went on, he's like, I sang less even because why wouldn't you have him sing? Like, you know, and you know, that was, you know, I don't know. I think that the fact that Felder was the only one that really had a problem makes you be like, okay, is he being a little bit of a bitch? But then like when you see, you know, we talk about like, Hey man, the guy wrote the music for Hotel California. He was a really good guitarist. Um, if they did promise him a song, and That's and Don Henley sure. now I mean Glenn Fry was more more asshole than Don Henley for sure but Don Henley even said he goes you know we let Don Felder record that song he probably did fifteen takes he's like it just didn't meet band standard yeah That's what he said you know but my I've, thing is I've is listened like, to the Eagles there's some songs out there that but suck. it must for let's be honest well it wasn't the song it was just they said his vocal didn't meet the, but Joe Walsh's vocal is not no great. different like that's my thing is like are you serious but i mean like no, he's got a, he was not a he has he a was better on the voice, guitar you know but but maybe you just had to let him do his thing if rocky wanted. mountain way if we were to fucking turn it on right now everybody i get i get what they're saying because their shit was kind of low end other than like life in the fast lane or something right. it gives you a different feeling you know that's the best part about music what feeling it gives you mm-hmm. and theirs is kind of a Leonard Skinner, uh, not Queen. Uh, oh, who sings that? Mississippi Queen. I don't know. Mountain. Someone, someone's listening. Mountain. This is like screaming. Mountain. Southern rock, kind of. I get. Yeah. I, so I kind of get what you're saying with the not so much country, but I would say southern rock. Yeah, soft rock. I mean, not soft. Southern. Maybe. Don't say soft. You say soft, shit gets weird. <laughs> Canned heat. Soft rock. <laughs> Um, I guess like even uh, another story that just popped into my head, the uh, Lion Eyes, the song Lion Eyes. They they talked about there was this bar club they used to go to all the time, and Glenn Fry was like known for like making these like I, off the cuff now phrases. Now that you said that, I will say they were probably one of the first bands to do ballads. You know, like get some pussy back. You know right, what I mean? Right. Seriously. Well, that's no, what Glenn just, Fry says. He goes, he's like, you know, he goes. There's you know, when you look back over the Eagles catalog, he's like, there's people that so maybe celebrated to some of our music, maybe like came of age to some of our music, broke up with their girlfriend, uh, or, you know, whatever. He's like, you could kind of find something in there that fits almost every occasion. Um, but he says there was this club they used to go to, and he's like, there's always like from eight to midnight, man. He's like, you'd see these young women come in dressed to the nines. And they'd come in talking to everybody else and this and that, get soaking up all the attention. He's like, but at the end of the night, he's like, they'd always leave and go home because they were kept women. They were basically like, they had a sugar daddy that, you know, some old man, whatever. And they would always, and uh, so he's sitting there and he's like, you know, he looks across the bar and sees this girl talking to some guy, like trying to schmooze him. And he's like, man, can't hide them lion eyes or whatever. And like, uh, it just, 
boom, that's a song title. Like Hotel California, I guess, was a Don Henley always had that as a title to a song whenever it fit, you know, and that's where that came from. Ended up taken. You know, so it's like I said, I really like from Harry Felder snatch. Wasn't it? <laughs> Don Felder. Yeah, Harry, Harry Felder snatch. It uh you know, listening to or watching that documentary really opened my eyes, uh, not just to the Eagles and everything, you know, that they accomplished, but it kind of just the music as a whole. Um, and just, it is crazy how much cross pollination happens between bands, especially back then when you had a group of bands all living in the same area, you know, you a lot sort of, of lion eyes, a lot of lion eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, man, it's, uh, that's good. Dick, are you an Eagles fan? What do you got over there? I feel like everyone's Absolutely. either. Yeah, yeah no, I think was I think everyone's either like, yeah, I like the Eagles or like, or you just fucking hate them, you know, like I, which I don't know if I've ever met anyone that hates the Eagles personally. I'd immediately scratch them off my list if they did, because some of those songs, fuck, like I said, good music makes you feel a certain way. And there's a couple of Eagles songs that do that. Right. <laughs> and probably more than a couple. Uh, That's why they've lasted as long as they've lasted. Another good story you'll appreciate real quick before we wrap this up. So, when they were releasing the first album, the self-titled Eagles album that had, you know, peaceful, easy feel and take it easy, witchy woman, all that stuff. Um, they hired at the time. I always wondered why they used an Eagle skull and a bull skull. Well, well that out, the album cover wasn't that it was, like, I know, I know whatever it's like in the, it's like in the desert. Mm-hmm. And there was these two guys. They were like the guys you hired for like he did, like done like the birds and Jody Mitchell and some of those other bands out that way. And so they talk to these guys and these guys are actually on the documentary and they're like, the one guy's like, I really, my big thing is I like to remove them. I like to get bands out of their comfort zone and take them, you know, away from their families and all this other stuff. And really like they would not have control over them. And like, you know, it's, it's just old hippie, you know? So he, Bernie Ledden's actually telling the story. He's like, so this was the plan. He's like, we were going to go to the Troubadour. We were going to stay there until closing time. Then we we're going to leave. And we were going to drive the Joshua tree uh, or whatever. And like, so then like, so then Glenn Fry, Glenn Fry comes in. He's like, so we are driving the Joshua tree. We've been drinking a troubadour. We're driving the Joshua tree. We got a bag of peyote buttons and whatever. And like, we get out there at like four 30 in the morning. And you know, the one of the hippie guys, that's part of this group of photographers or whatever they are. He's like, you know, Eagles were like, sacrilegious to native americans you know and it symbolized the spiritual journey so he's like well we were going to take a spiritual journey together they hooked him up with and some like, good shit so and like good i think don henley's like we were all higher than we've ever been like he's like you know they were cooking peyote tea and take eating peyote buttons and like as, as soon as they told them their name was the eagles those <laughs> fuck you know what i mean the medicine man hooked their yeah. ass they they were like this is a vision Right. They told That's us one day the like, Eagles would come to us. <laughs> and Joe Walsh is fucking. He wasn't 30. in the band yet. Oh, God. Yeah. So this was like early on. And like, and the crazy part is, though, is that uh, David Geffen, the guy at the record label, fucked up the album cover because it was supposed to be one that unfolded into a poster. So if you looked at it, you would see like the Eagle symbol up high and it would and be like the corners, sky yeah. 
and whatever. And you're supposed to be able to open it. And then the bottom half would be, you'd see the, the band sitting around a campfire. He's still high like, on by rocks. Yeah. But if he's like, no, fuck it, glue it together. So then if it's glued together, we can't unfold it. You see it and you open it. And then they're up, the band's upside down, actually inside the album cover, which is wild. But, Different. Yeah. But yeah, he's like, you know, they were out there all fucked up at sunrise. And that's we're where they started the taking all these world, pictures. Asshole. Yeah. Yeah, that's where they... I've never, I've never. Peyote sounds amazing. Usually anything that's from the earth, oh, fuck, it'd take, with no processing, you know what I mean? Maybe a little tea, you said, but well, you shit hear, that's from the earth, fuck. There's a lot of stuff, man. Like I told you, I listened to that one, that Sean Ryan show, that guy's a, you know, was a Navy SEAL CIA operative, and he went down, I don't know if he went to Texas, he went somewhere and like, to this guy who's doing like shit with ayahuasca to train to yeah, treat yeah. PTSD and stuff. It grows South America, and, but it sounds like. Uh, but I don't think he left the country. To he didn't do have it. to. I'm sure they grow up places now. But, but I'm just saying it's native. But it sounds like South part America. of that whole process is you like vomit violently at some point in time, right? And like then, <laughs> then the helpers show up to take care of you. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it sounds like it's like the wildest twenty minutes you can have in your life. It doesn't last long, is it? What's the difference between that and DMT? Like, are they similar? I I think so, but DMT is just chemically. I mean, it's something your brain already produces. You're just right, but this ramping it up a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. probably makes it swell. I mean, but they say acid. Acid is very well. They say DMT is like you literally like it's not long, ten minutes or so, but like you literally go to a different reality, like Mm -hmm. like you're watching television. Be kind of wild it's intriguing but it also sounds terrifying you get into some good weed it'll make you feel like you're watching television (laughs) you're like these lights awful bright in here it's like my ass on stage so how much did i mean but But i mean you get the like the fuzzies out around the ends where you know like you're sitting in a television almost like it's crazy so how much different is that from like mushrooms uh mushrooms just a more natural no not much anxiety, you're very calm. Just the globes. Globes. So, yeah. Until you go weird and then shit happens. So like you take that drink right there, your glass might actually turn and be like, <laughs> I'm I'm serious. You see shit, you're just like you it was just, like melt in my hand. Or pour it on the ground. You know what I mean? But would I really like, pour it on the ground? Or just think I'm pouring know. it on the ground? I have no fucking clue. You know. <laughs> this is all perceived reality. Well, I know they're making like uh, they're using mushrooms for a lot of different stuff now. Small dose. Yes, they've made, uh, yeah. They've there's like a there's this thing that that same guy. I was it's crazy. About, or maybe it's, it's Rogan. almost like there was people walking around on this land that knew <laughs> right. that shit would reset you. Right. <laughs> we just tried to get rid of them. Sure. Seriously. Yeah. No, you're right. Now that you think about it, you know, pharmaceutical companies do they want people knowing you can fucking take something that grows out of cow shit and. You don't want to fucking kill yourself, right? You know what I mean, or the uh, drink yourself to death. But if you heard of this mud water, they say it's like it's like a coffee alternative, but it's basically made from mushrooms and stuff. And it's like a you would drink it in the morning. I I've heard of it, but I always but just it's mushroom them. based yeah. or whatever. But it's supposed to like give sandwich. you no. Bug baloney's gross. Don't do baloney. Yeah. Do they still little. taste like shit a little bit. You know what though? I always think about when I think about mushrooms is uh the movie Detroit Rock City. 
You ever watch that? Yeah. We're yeah. like trying to go watch the Kiss concert yes, and they yes, eat yes. all those mushrooms or whatever. So in the beginning, the kid's like, I seen a porno that started just like this. <laughs> I'm still sitting here trying to figure out what tastes like shit a little bit is. It tastes like shit. It tastes like shit. Hey, how do you know if it tastes like shit a little bit or a lot? <laughs> well, you know what that cow shit smells like. And sometimes they might not be as clean as you think, which is fine. You want to keep them spores. That might be like the next thing, though, that come becomes like. It commonly should. legal it should to be honest why I mean, wouldn't it now are you I, not, i've never so i don't like it are, fucking grows in the wild sure. how could they ever tell you something that is just naturally here you can't fucking have it that's bullshit is it not i'm trying to think i'm not digging sh- there's nothing even if it's something that's going to kill you go ahead who cares but right. you're right. You Survival want rights to everything? Yes. Or the smartest. <laughs> you know that'll fucking kill you either. Okay, go ahead. Well, yeah, there's certain mushrooms that grow out of the ground that aren't regulated. Well, They'll poison the fuck out of you and kill exactly. you. Exactly. They haven't outlawed those yet. Right. So why would you outlaw the ones that have benefits? Um. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, are you able to, if you take, how long? If I'm going to tell you what. If you we eat- get into Pink Floyd, basically psychedelics, all we're going to talk about the whole time. So, Sid Barrett fuck if, i mean that's you, all we're gonna talk about if like what's the standard dose of, of what mushrooms oh a couple caps in the beginning but you graduate eventually you eat an eighth of them so what like how long does a trip or whatever you'd want to call it last depends ballpark i mean i, mean, I don't ballpark you 10 hours 10 hours Jeez. if you get on a good trip you better have some time set ahead of you I'm serious. Like, you'd be like, oh, fuck, I've been up for 36 hours. What? And, like, just not realize? I'll not so you don't from the time. Snap your fingers. Not and it's from, listen, not from the time. Day and a half later? Not from the time. <laughs> your ass might wake up at 7 o'clock that morning. You get onto some late, late, late in the evening. You don't know. Like, it's time fucking, time's different. Time's like, different when you're hot on that kind of high because it ain't no 20 minute we're gone. Same with same with fucking LSD, man. It's just you don't know who made it. The mushrooms, you have more of a baseline. There's not some that are like wildly greater unless they're produced that, you know, like sure. grown to be better. If you're just to get them naturally and take them, depending on how many you put inside your body, you got a good idea. What kind of ride you're getting ready to go on? What the eight the mushrooms will fucking take you for a? I mean, that's a considerable amount. Imagine smoking weed. Okay, we've all smoked weed in this. You know what I mean? You smoke one joint, maybe a nickel if it's rolled really fat. Now smoke an eighth in one. You know, just in one shot. That's a jump. Yeah. You know, so that joint's a couple caps compared right. to the. Sure. So. Eat an eighth of them. But I mean, like, our, your ability to function goes like, down you, considerably. Would you, get, would, you, sure. would you drive a car after you take it so much? I wouldn't ride my feet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just, just, it depends on who you're around, too, though. If you're around yeah. a bunch of people that aren't in the same place, it's not good. Like, mentally, not, you know what I mean? I've seen people get real strange. What do you mean? Like, 
if you don't have any like-minded people around you, gotcha. what are the people who aren't high going to do to you? I don't know. They're going to fuck with you. You know what? I'm, all I'm hearing is if if I ever do this, don't do it around Dick. I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. Or make sure he took first. Dick, I mean, Dick will be. It's here. not great, but it will take you. I don't. I don't. It takes the last you, thing I think anyone needs on a good mushroom trip is Dick and his smart ass <laughs> comments. Psychedelics will take you somewhere other than where you live currently. Yeah. In the same space, though. You know, be like you're in the Matrix. Yes. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> it's shit you've never seen. You it's know what like, I mean? it's just, uh, it's like you're seeing behind the scenes, but of, but of where you are right now. Correct. Like, <laughs> you are the director. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I've always grip. been intrigued, but. Just go small. If you go, no, just go small. That's all you do. That's why micro, right? That's all you talk about is micro dosing. I do think it's something we, you know, maybe aren't. It's something that maybe doesn't repair itself inside of our bodies. Our bodies do amazing things, but mentally, I don't. Maybe it's the things we're fed, habits, whatever. I don't think it regenerates as much as maybe it did in the past. Your life expectancy wasn't that great back then, but can you imagine suicide was that crazy in the 1800s? Well, yeah, sure it happened. I'm just saying, sure it happened. Right. They didn't live to the point where like, fuck it, I'm done with this. Well, but back then though, I think that you were like, if life was that bad and, their so, life was bad compared but, uh, to ours. Well, sure, you sure. know what I mean. That's, but I mean that—that's what I'm saying. I mean, are we getting softer? If you really disliked mentally, your, if you really disliked yourself. You probably just had to be like, "Well, I just got to hang around for a bit because I'll either die of dysentery or some someone else will shoot me. Ooh, like I, <laughs> this will be over soon enough." But you see, people that fought tooth and nail to live through that kind of lifestyle, and nowadays we have so many comforts. Sure, there's plenty of people who don't. The majority have a certain set of comforts they've become accustomed to. And a lot of times when they just don't go the way they want them, they're like, yeah, fuck it. I'm out. I can't imagine. Like I said, the, the shit they went through just to be, I don't know. Like I said, I think it's maybe something over evolutionary time. That's one thing we're not regenerating very well. What, what, what are we? Mental not health. Oh, no. No. So if well, there is something out there that's a viable option, fuck, let's check it out. Maybe sure. I don't know Pfizer and everybody else who wants to get. No, there. it just depends on how much money's in it, right? Of that's course, the name of the game. And it was here. You know what I mean? Nobody had to produce it. Maybe there's a little manufacturer to it. Wrap it up, sell it to you. Right, four times what it should be worth. But so one year from now, we will be bringing to you pub time mushrooms. <laughs> there you go. Get in. We'll get in early. Why not? No, I will say, I know they do produce them a little differently now. You can get them a little candy bar action and edible wise. Them bitches are they're stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go whole thing. We'll get you guys Good in advice. some mushrooms. You, <laughs> you guys are scared about the cocaine. <laughs> you got some mushrooms. I don't know. It might be a coin flip who I fucked tonight. It's either going to be like Lynn Fry or Don Felder. Harry Felder snatch. Harry Felder. All right. Guys, it's been fun. Here's to those that wish us well. All the rest can go to hell.
Good night, everybody. Fuck you, Harry Felder Snatch and Glenn Fry. You don't fuck Don Henley. No, you just don't. He stayed so even the whole time. Everybody in the club getting tipsy. Best curly white boy for all. Everybody in nice. the club getting tipsy. Everybody in the club getting tipsy. I won't deny it, I'm a straight rider. You don't wanna fuck with me. I got the police fussing at me. Wow, 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 he's a very nice.